There is a place, a place that says, here in your presence, Lord, there is a place where fears fade away, here in your
On that white horse you ride With blazing eyes of fire He'll judge and make things right He'll turn all the dogs Well, if you're a visitor or guest, my name is Tom. It's an honor and a privilege to have you 
here among us. It is a baptism weekend. We have a slew of people who are getting baptized across all the different services. And uh, tonight we have a number of students who are getting baptized. So we're excited about that. Yep, yep, yep. And Jesus left two sacraments he commanded his followers to do. One is baptism. The other is what we call communion. Both of them are physical acts that are telling the story of the good news of the gospel. In baptism, what you'll see is that they'll go down into the water and they'll go under the water, which is that we're dead, we die in our sin. But because of what Christ has done, we're resurrected. We come back up out of the water, which is a physical symbol that death doesn't have the last word because of what Jesus Christ has done and forgiving us of our sins through his death on the cross as we come to him by faith. And uh, we're going to welcome across the street all the students. So want to welcome them as they join us. And I think we're going to hear a word in a moment from Britt. that are getting baptized we are proud of you we're excited and we're on this side just celebrating alongside you it's gonna be amazing night thanks Tom well without any further ado we're gonna bring them up one by one you're gonna hear a little bit of their story so when I call them just hold your applause until we hear their story then we can applaud what God has done first we'll have Joshua come on up here come on up here buddy let's hear a little bit of your story my name is Joshua before I had decided to trust Jesus I was always afraid of being alone when my fears got out of control I began to spend more and more time praying and trusting Jesus to be with me My dad was also a big help to me. Since deciding to trust Jesus, I am no longer fixated on my fears. And this decision has made me grow as a person so that I feel much safer. I am ready to get baptized and publicly show that I trust and love Jesus. That's amazing. Yeah, we're going to applaud God's good work. I love how you said your dad was a big help. Yay, dad, wherever you are, thanks for being a great big help. Go ahead and take this little symbolic record of your sin. You can put it up there on the cross. Yeah, the very top. That's great. And you can head on out to the hallway. Joshua, you can head on out to the hallway. Next, we're going to have Keenan. Come on up. Where's Keenan at? Come on up here, buddy. We're going to hear your story. My name is Keenan. Before I decided to be baptized, I would go to church and listen to the sermon, but it would go in one ear and out the other. I was just there. I wasn't really experiencing God. Then at 678's fall retreat, as we were all gathered, singing and worshiping God together, I could feel God's presence with everyone, not just me, like we were all part of one big master plan. It was there I decided to trust Jesus. And I'm looking forward to all that God will do with me. I'm being baptized to tell others I trust Jesus and I've given my life to him. Uh, Kenan, I love to hear your story. Yeah, we can applaud it. (laughs) 
Kenan, I love what you wrote where you said you're looking forward to all that God's going to do with you. I'm looking forward to that as well. God's made you unique with unique gifts and good works that he wants you to uniquely do, Kenan. And so we're excited as we celebrate with you your baptism. Go ahead and take that little symbolic record. You can put it up there on the cross, knowing that you have been set free from that. Head on out to the hallway. And as he does next, we'll hear Sarah's story. Where's Sarah? Come on up here, Sarah. We'll get to hear your story read. My name is Sarah. I used to always be anxious and shy, worrying too much about my future. One night, I had a dream about Jesus. Mm. In the dream, I ran into his arms and felt a sense of comfort. I gave my life to him the next day. Since then, I've stopped feeling anxious, and I've started to make new friends. I even hope to bring some of my non-Christian friends to Christ. I am ready to get baptized as my next step on my journey with God. I just told her, I said, yeah, we can applaud it. I told Sarah, he loves you so much, he showed up in a dream for you. I've never had that happen. So you must be extra special, right? Well, Sarah, go ahead and take this little symbolic record of your sin, and you can put it up there on the cross because Christ has set you free from that, and you can head on out to the hallway as well and get ready. Next, we'll have Eden come on up here. Come on, Eden. How are you, Eden? My name is Eden. I grew up always believing Jesus was real, but I wasn't serious about my faith until I was 10 years old and I began to pray and read the Bible. My faith became personal and I accepted Jesus as my Savior. I now feel God's peace as he helps me through hard times, and I know it is not because I am lucky, but because I am blessed. I am ready to get baptized as my next step of faith. Can we applaud God's good work in Eden? Eden shared with a friend in Texas that she was getting baptized. That friend jumped on a plane on short notice and came. I just met her, Karis. So excited that you came, Karis, to celebrate Eden's baptism. Eden, you can go ahead and take that symbolic record of your sin, put it up there on the cross, knowing that you are forgiven. Head on out to the hallway. Next, we're going to have Avery come on up here. Come on, Avery. We get to hear your story. My name is Avery. I used to feel like an outcast for my family because they all have great faith and I felt like something was missing in my life. Then a volunteer leader at 678 shared the story of how Christ healed his voice. That was my first experience of knowing someone who was healed by God. I was also inspired by watching how my brother fully threw himself into worship. Finally, with my friend's faith and my family's encouragement, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. The missing piece has been found. He is my Father in heaven who watches over over me, and I'm so glad to finally be home. Mm, love it, Avery. Love it. <laughs> brother loves you. Avery, it's a gift to be born into a believing family, and yet your story is so true where that's not enough. You have to at some point come to know him for yourself, and so we celebrate with you your faith in Jesus Christ. Take that little symbolic record of your sin. You can put it up there on the cross knowing you're set free of it and head on over to the hallway. Next, we're going to have Eva come on up. Where's Eva? Come on up here. We get to hear your story. My name is Eva. Before I trusted Jesus, my life was never bad. I just felt disconnected. 
Then at the 678 Hume summer camp last year, I could see how God was working to help everyone around me. There wasn't anyone he did not reach. Mm. Since then, I have trusted Jesus, Amen. felt his peace, and I know I am in good hands. Mm. Never again will I believe nobody is there for me because mm. the Lord will always be there for that's me. Right. I am ready to get baptized to keep growing in my faith and connection to Jesus. Mm, that's amazing, Eva. That's amazing. <laughs> Eva, in a couple weeks in this series we're in called Real ID, we're going to do a message called Never Alone. I feel like I should have you do that message based off of what you just said. So take this little symbolic record of your sin. You can put that up on the cross knowing you're set free of it and head on out. Last but not least, we're going to have Noah come on up. Come on up here, Noah, as we hear your story. Proud of you, buddy. My name is Noah. Through my family and friends, I've always had Jesus in my life. What a gift. But at 678, they all helped me realize that Jesus is the central point of my life. That's right. They encouraged me to trust Jesus with my own personal faith. Since then, I've been praying consistently with a growing understanding of God's grace. It has been a blessing to be surrounded by a community with such strong passion for Christ. I am ready to get baptized to express my love for Jesus. Oh, I love it, love it, love it, love it. <laughs> Proud of you, Noah. I love what you wrote, that Jesus isn't just to be in our lives, but to be the center point of our life. And so take this little symbolic record of your sin. You can put it up there on the cross, knowing that he set you free from that. And you can head on out into the hallway and get ready with the others. And so first, we're going to have Joshua come on down into the water. <clears throat> and so, Joshua, because of your faith in Jesus Christ, we now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Next, we'll have Keenan come on down. God is the God of every generation. So amazing to see God at work in our students. Keenan, because of your profession of faith in Jesus Christ, we now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And next we'll have Sarah come on down. Sarah, because of your personal faith in Jesus Christ, we now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Eden, come on down. Eden, because of your faith in Christ, we now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amazing. Avery can come on down. 
really a miracle when people come to Christ. As God's word says, you're transferred from a kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And so Avery, because of your faith in Christ, we now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Eva can come on down. You scared us all. (laughs) Thought you were going to baptize yourself. Eva, because of your faith in Jesus Christ, we now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yes, God. Yes, God. And Noah can come on down. The center point of our life. (laughs) The center point of our life, Jesus Christ. Because of your faith in Christ, Noah, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. turn to play dolls. Let me show you. Welcome to Women's Conference. We are so excited you're here. I'm Barbie Coley and you all know Barbie Jill and Barbie Tanya. So we have so much fun planned for you this weekend. Let's get started. And when you become a grown-up, you can get to go to Women's Conference, too. That is one of the best parts of being a grown-up. I know. Hey, Mom, can we play Women's Conference again? You got it, babe. Well, you guys, if I haven't yet met you, I am Barbie Jill, who was in that video. And hopefully that video gave you a little bit of a glimpse into how much fun we are going to have at our upcoming women's conference. So ladies, we would love to invite you to join us. It's going to happen on a Friday night and then a Saturday morning and early afternoon. It's going to be such an awesome time to worship God, be encouraged from God's word, meet with other women, connect with people, and just have lots of fun. So if you're here and you are a woman or if you have a woman in your life, a daughter, a mother, a grandmother, a friend, a coworker, please invite the women in your life to join us for Women's Conference. You can get more information and sign up for that on our website. Well, I want to say welcome, Christian Assembly. It's so great to be with you. Uh, As we have a couple of announcements for us, I also want to just invite you. We have a full house tonight, and so if you have space in between you and and the person next to you, I just want to encourage you to move in just so we can keep seating people on the edges. 
Well, again, welcome. Uh, if you are new or visiting, we are especially glad that you are here. We have a welcome table out in the lobby with a free gift, so be sure to stop by our lobby after service. And then we also have a connection card in your seat backs. You can fill that out as a way of letting us know that you're new and drop that in the, on, in the offering bags when they come around in just a moment. And one of our pastors would love to follow up with you. And then as always, we want to say a very special welcome to all those who are joining us online. And so if that's you and you're with us online, welcome and we're glad that you are here. Well, two more announcements for us today. First, we want to let you know that we have something happening called Conversations About Jesus, and that meets on Thursday nights. It's going to be kicking, it's going to be kicking off this coming week on Thursday night, and this is a great space for anyone who is investigating faith. Maybe you're curious about what it looks like to believe in Jesus, what it looks like to follow him, or you just have some questions about what this whole Christianity thing is all about. And so if that's you or a friend of yours, please come, bring your friends, family, coworkers, and those you know and come be with us in that conversation. And then we also want to let you know that we have a marriage seminar coming up on March 11th. And so if you are looking in your marriage to grow your communication and you're trying to have more productive and joy-filled communication with your spouse, then this seminar is for you. It is called Can You Hear Me? So you can get more info for that and you can register for that on our website. Well, now's the time in our service where we get to continue in our worship of our great, great God through the giving of our tithes and offerings. And as we prepare our hearts to give back to God, let me read to us what God's word says in Psalm 145, 17. It says, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. And one of the ways that we as God's people respond to his faithfulness is through our giving and our generosity. So in just a moment, we'll pass the offering bags. As always, you can give online through our Christian Assembly LA app or on our website. If you're new or visiting, please feel no obligation to give. And to our Christian Assembly church family, thank you so much for your ongoing giving and generosity. Would you join me as we pray together? God, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather. Thank you for this local church called Christian Assembly and for all those who you have brought here with us today and with us online as well, Lord. And God, we just pray that you would speak to us and that you would encourage us as we continue to worship you and that we would be encouraged through the reading and teaching from your word, Lord. And God, we do pray for the women's conference and we pray not only that it would be fun, Lord, but we pray that you would move in mighty ways in the lives of every woman who's going to come. And I pray, Lord, for every woman who's here or online who's maybe on the fence about going or not sure if it's for them. God, I pray that you would nudge them and help them to sense your invitation to come and be with our women's community and with you as we gather together, Lord. So bless that conference and bless the rest of our service. We pray this in your great name, Jesus. Amen. The ushers can come forward. Before we welcome those of you who are present here with us, but want to welcome those of you who are joining us online. If you're a visitor or guest, my name is Tom. If you're part of our normal community online, what an honor and privilege to have you here with us as well. want to let you know, uh, church, how much Allison and I love you. We pray for you every day. I'm proud of you. I feel great joy when I think of you. Little uh, logistical thing I just wanted to let you know about. Of course, many of us have seen the news coming out of Turkey and Syria and the uh, tragic earthquake uh, that has happened in those regions. Uh, because of your ongoing generosity, um, as we saw that news, um, we were able to give $50,000 to go towards immediate relief. Part of the reason we're able to do that is not only your generosity, but because we're connected to the largest Christian movement 
in the area. And so there were already local pastors, local churches that were doing relief work who reached out and said, hey, could you help? And, uh, and we were positioned to be able to do that because of your great generosity back to God. So I want to thank you for your ongoing generosity. Received already a, a note back um, from the leader of Foursquare Disaster Relief who we sent the funds through. This is what he wrote. He said, the gift from Christian Assembly is literally saving lives right now. Local pastors and churches are now able to serve hot meals, purchase and distribute winter clothing, provide tents and other supplies that people need in Jesus' name. So I just want to say thank you. In a moment, we're going to pray and we'll pray, including for all those impacted by the earthquakes. But I do want to just say uh, thank you for your ongoing generosity. It allows us to make rapid responses like that rather than trying to raise the money and then send it. So thank you for your generosity, church. Well, we are on week number three of Real ID, who God says you are. And each week we've been seeing that the truest thing about our identity is not what we say or not even what we feel or not even what other, other people might say about us, whether that's good or, or maybe even not so good. The truest thing about our identity is who God says we are. There's a guy in the 19th century, he was a Russian Orthodox priest. He was known as John of Kronstadt. And he lived in a time and era in that city that he was in where alcohol abuse was rampant. And many of the priests at that time, they, they wouldn't go out into the city to help people. Some of it had to do with danger. Some of it, they felt like, oh, maybe people should come to us. And they waited for people to come. But John was known to be different. John, as he would pray, was compelled by God and the love of Jesus to go out into the streets and people would, would uh, report and have witnessed him going to people who were literally laying in the gutter. And he would bend over and he would lift up the hungover, foul-smelling people from the gutter, cradle them in his arms, and he would say to them, this is beneath your dignity. You were meant to house the fullness of God. Week number one of our Real ID series, we looked at the fact that you and I were created in the image of God, which gives us inherent dignity, worth, and value. Week number two, last week we saw that by faith in Christ, you can be redeemed and adopted into the family of God. And this week, week number three, we see that as you place your faith in Christ, He then transforms you to become a temple of the Holy Spirit. We're going to consider that, but before we do, let's pray. So God, we come to you with a spirit of gratitude, but also a spirit of grief as we see the headlines coming out of Turkey and Syria. And so we pray, God, for all those who have been impacted by those earthquakes. And we ask, Lord, that you would be their comforter, that you would be their strength. We pray for all the rescue operations that are ongoing, all of the relief, all of the, the grief that is happening. Lord, would you be their comforter. Your Holy Spirit, Jesus, you told us, is our comforter. We pray for the funds that we sent. Lord, might they be used to bring honor and relief and comfort and sustenance to those who are desperate. And might that happen in your name. Lord, as we come to your word now, would you speak to each one of us? For the spiritually unconvinced and for the spiritually convinced as well. Would you draw us to yourself and teach us what it means 
for us to become a temple of your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On your way in, hopefully you got a bulletin. If you did, you can flip it open to the center section. You'll see the teaching notes that are there that we'll dig into throughout our time as we go together, as well as the Scriptures. Some people will say sometimes things like this. Maybe you've said this or you've heard someone say it. Referencing their body, they will say, well, it's my body and I can treat it any way that I like. But what does God say about our bodies? We've already seen that we're created in the image of God. Male and female, God created us and that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. To my friends who can think, well, it's my body, I can do whatever I want to it. The question then arises, well, is it only your body? Did you create yourself? Did you knit yourself together? Can you guarantee your next heartbeat? Can you guarantee your next breath? Did you know that your body produces 25 million new cells every second? That means in the next 15 seconds, you will have produced more cells than there are people in the United States of America. That's mind-blowing. There is a power at work sustaining you right now that you cannot take credit for. And that power has a name, and His name is Jesus. In fact, here's how Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says it. It says, Jesus Christ is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. And here it is. And He sustains all things by His powerful Word. He sustains all things, including you, including me. And when He had made purification for sins meaning through the cross, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You see, if you are breathing right now, you are creating 25 million new cells in one second, and that is because Jesus is sustaining you right now. Part of sustaining all things through His powerful Word. The Apostle Paul sheds light on our real ID when he told the believers in the city of Corinth, he says, For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. Paul explained to the believers in Corinth, that, that God would dwell in the people who have been redeemed by Christ, by the power of His Holy Spirit. It's interesting here, that, that word translated temple that we just read, it refers not just to the general outer temple courts. There's actually a different Greek word that refers to that. The Greek word that's used there refers to the most holy place the place where God's presence was manifested over the Ark of the Covenant in the Jewish temple. In other words, this amazing reality of the New Covenant was brought about by the death of Jesus Christ. In fact, we hear from the Gospel according to Matthew in chapter 27, verse 50, it says, Then Jesus cried again when He's on the cross with a loud voice and breathed His last. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. From top to bottom, the earth shook and the rocks split. The curtain separated the presence of God in the most holy place from the outer parts of 
the courtyard and the other rooms in the temple. And this curtain was no kind of sheer dainty curtain. It was the thickness of the width of a man's hand. And it's torn now from top to bottom, from heaven down to earth. In other words, what it's showing is that this is God's doing. And now we had access into the very presence of God because of Christ's death. You see, when we come to Christ, part of our real ID is that we then become the temple of the Holy Spirit. But what does that even mean in practical terms? Well, the first thing we see is this, that if we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, we are to be marked by ongoing worship of God in both spirit and truth. Temples are for worship, so praise should arise from our life. Jesus says in John chapter 4, verse 23, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. In fact, this is why worship is one of the core values of our church here at Christian Assembly. We are created in the image of God, male and female, God created us. And part of the role of worshiping God, being a temple of the Holy Spirit, means that we worship God in both truth as well as spirit. In one of the former messages that I preached in this series, somebody said, gosh, Tom, like, can you soften the truth part up a little bit? And the answer is no. <laughs> Because I want to make it clear about what God's Word says. That we are to be reminded and renewed in our real ID. And that happens each time we worship God. When we give our heartfelt allegiance to anything or worship anything which is not God, we progressively cease to reflect the image of God. Theologian N.T. Wright, probably the most well-known theologian alive today, biblical scholar, says it this way, quote, one of the primary laws of human life is that you become like what you worship. What's more, you reflect what you worship, not only to the object itself, but also outward to the world around. Those who worship money increasingly define themselves in terms of it, and increasingly treat other people as creditors or or debtors, partners or customers, rather than as human beings. Those who worship sex and define themselves in terms of it, their preferences, their practices, their past histories, and then increasingly treat other people as actual or potential sex objects. Those who worship power define themselves in terms of it, and they treat other people either as collaborators or competitors or maybe pawns. These and many other forms of idolatry combine in a thousand ways, all of them damaging to the image-bearing quality of the people concerned and of those whose lives that they touch, end quote. You see, when you understand that part of your real ID as you come to Christ is that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, then worship is no longer just an optional weekend activity if you have time for it. In fact, worship is no longer just a weekend activity at all. It begins to infuse every area of your life. 
Instead, it becomes, this is who I am. This is what I do. I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. And if I don't ongoingly worship God in spirit and truth, if you don't ongoingly worship God in spirit and truth, you and I will end up worshiping someone else or something else. And the moment we do that, it will eventually destroy us over time. It will begin to imprison me. I'll begin to treat others through the lens of that rather than through the lens of God's goodness. So the reverse begins to happen when we say, no, 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 my real ID, God has said that I am a temple of his Holy Spirit. And the more that I worship him in spirit and truth, the freer I become from all of my imprisonments that seek to entangle me. Plus, the more you walk in your real ID of being the temple of the Holy Spirit, the more you will point other people to God. You will help other people connect to God. Why? Because that's what the first Jewish temple was supposed to do. To help people learn about God's nature, His character, His goodness, and draw them into His covenantal relationship with Him. The second thing we see about being a temple of the Holy Spirit is this, that it means that we must be wise in taking care of both our body and our spirit. After we're given our real idea as a temple of the Holy Spirit in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, the next chapter starts this way. Chapter 7 verse 1 says, Since we have these promises meaning the promise of being filled with God's Spirit, becoming a temple of the Holy Spirit. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, making holiness perfect in the fear of God. The Bible is clear that we need to remember who is dwelling in us and among us and how we will be held accountable for the care of this temple of the Holy Spirit that God has entrusted to each one of us. In his first letter to the church in Corinth, Paul writes this in chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. He says, Do you not know that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? He's speaking to believers who have been redeemed by Christ. They've received the Holy Spirit. He goes on and says, If anyone defiles the temple of God... God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. So it's a godly thing for us to be wise about our nutrition and about our exercise, getting the proper amount of sleep. I tell my wife sometimes, you know, I'm going to sleep in on Saturday. God told me to. It's part of my worship of him, right? Of course, that means that we don't want to abuse drugs and other such things. These things help care for our physical body that we are given. You only get one body, and no one else can take care of it for you. But we're not only to cleanse our bodies, we've read that we're also to cleanse our spirits, as we just read a moment ago. Well, what does that look like? Well, we don't even have to guess, because Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Now, he's speaking to Christians here, And he goes on and says, don't be yoked with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common, or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Now, if two two oxen are yoked together, that meant that what the one ox would do 
would influence the direction of the other ox because they were yoked together. So God's word is telling believers not to let unbelievers have an undue influence on how you think of yourself and how you live. Sometimes people will come to me and they're wanting to get married and one of them's Christian, the other one's not a Christian. Should we get married? We have that discussion. And one of the things I say to the Christian is, if you're committed to Christ, it is not fair for you to be yoked to somebody who's not committed to Christ. Because if you're truly committed to Christ, you're going to drive them nuts. Because your value system is going to be different. And you're going to keep pulling a different direction. And it's going to drive them insane over time. And I say to the person who's not a believer, as much as you might like this person or even love this person, if, if you're not committed to the one that they say is the center point of their life, that's not fair to them either. You want to be yoked with someone who's headed in the same direction that you are headed. Being a temple of the Holy Spirit also has this sense that we're convicted of our sin, that we repent of our sin and are being purified by the Holy Spirit. In fact, in the middle of the discussion of our real ideas, temples of the Holy Spirit, Paul challenges some Christians who actually were cheating their brothers and sisters in Christ. So this wasn't an unbeliever cheating a believer. It wasn't a believer cheating an unbeliever. It was believers cheating believers. And he's challenging them to cleanse themselves from every defilement of the Spirit. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 8 and on. It says, Instead, you yourselves are the ones who do wrong and cheat even your fellow believers. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? <clears throat> Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or are thieves, or are greedy people, or drunkards, or abusive, or cheat people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that. And here's the good news. But you were cleansed. And you were made holy. And you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, even as I read that list, there can be a sense of a conviction that can settle on a human heart. <clears throat> maybe you've done something on that list. Or, or maybe your particular sin of choice isn't on that list, but you practice some other sin. You know, one of the marks of the Holy Spirit being at work in your life is that you're bothered by your sin. Why? Because he's holy. You will never run from, you will never turn from, you will never repent from and be cleansed of a sin that you are not genuinely convicted of. Let me ask you, if you're a Christian, have you ever done a sin and you know it's wrong and then you ask for forgiveness, but in your heart of hearts you know probably going to do that one again. Maybe even you're making plans to do that one again. I want your forgiveness, but I don't want to change. I don't really want to be cleansed. I don't really want to be purified. I just 
don't want your judgment. I know I've done that. And in those moments, we need to say, God, here's the most honest version of me. I know your word says this is wrong, but if I'm honest with you, I'm kind of planning on doing it again, which shows that my sin has not yet bothered me enough. Would you purify me from the inside out? Which is what the Holy Spirit can do. You know, I'm always saddened and grieved by my own sin. But I also have this parallel thought. The only thing that is worse in a human life than being grieved by your sin is if your sin never grieves you. You see, if you're grieved by your sin, then at least that's a sign that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. Whether you choose to participate with Him or not, whether you choose to repent or not, at least you can see God is at work bringing conviction of your sin into your life. Some people will come to me and they'll, they'll be teary-eyed and, Tom, I'm so torn up about my sin. I, I wish God would work in my life. I'm like, He is right now. This is how it happens. I'm not concerned about the person who comes and they're teary-eyed and they're saying, oh God, help me. Show me mercy, God. I'm not concerned about them. I'm concerned about the one who says, my sin's not such a big deal. How can you look at the cross and say, my sin is not such a big deal? You can only look at the cross and say, my sin is not such a big deal if you're living under the deception of the spiritual enemy. So when you feel conviction of sin, sometimes when I feel convicted of my sin, I, I, I say, God, thank you. Thank you. And bring enough conviction in me that I want to change and be purified and be cleansed. At least if I'm sorrowed, then I know that God's Spirit is at work upon me. And the good news is that we can be cleansed and we can be made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God as we just read. The third thing about being a temple of the Holy Spirit is this, is that you need to learn to cultivate the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and on, it says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. And these are all the things that every person I've ever met on planet Earth wants in their life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. Verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our life. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Now, Paul's using here a metaphor of fruit. And if you talk to a farmer, a farmer would tell you that they, the farmer, do not produce the fruit. They have a responsibility to cultivate the fruit, but they don't produce the fruit. In other words, a farmer cannot generate an apple. But he can ensure that the seed is planted in good soil he can make certain that, that the soil is watered and tended and cared for so that the tree can grow 
and produce the fruit. Same with us with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who produces the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. But also, we can't sit back and say, well, Holy Spirit, if you want to do that, have at it. We have a responsibility to seek to cultivate in our lives an environment in which these things can grow in us and among us from the Holy Spirit. In other words, pick any of the fruit of the Spirit that you want to grow in and ask God to grow that into your life and ask God to show you where you're not cultivating that in your life. If you want to partner with the Holy Spirit for more peace in your life, then you can't spend all of the time, all of your free time, watching Things that make you angry. God, grow peace in my life, and I'm going to spend the next 12 hours watching the news. Those two things aren't going to work together in concert with one another. When we think about being a temple of God, it can motivate us to be careful about where we go and what we eat and what we watch and what we listen to. It can motivate us to keep his temple pure. It can motivate us to make sure that he's glorified in his temple. And that when people see his temple, they will see his presence shining through because the fruit of the Spirit will so mark your life. And people are so desperate for the fruit of the Spirit. Anytime we ever do a series about how to combat anxiety, our attendance goes through the roof. I mean, I could preach on that topic 52 weekends a year because of how pervasive it is in our culture. And God comes and says, well, if you receive my Holy Spirit, I'm going to help you grow in peace, in goodness, in gentleness, in self-control and in kindness. These are the things we all want. These things are available to us through the Holy Spirit. The fourth and final thing we see is this, is that remember that you are also a part of a larger temple. It's not just you and God. It's all believers in Christ and God together. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 21 and 22 in the Bible tells us that each believer is also part of a much larger temple, one that is consisting of everyone who's a believer in the whole world and throughout all of history. This is what we read. We are carefully joined together in Him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through Him, you too are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by His Spirit. The temple was a very special place in the Old Testament. God gave very precise instructions about how it was to be constructed and how it was to be furnished, how it was to be treated. It was the primary place in the Old Testament where God revealed himself and talked to the priests. It was also the place where the priests and the people made various types of offerings to God. In short, the temple was a holy place. It was a place where God's Spirit dwelt and interacted with the Israelites. And the Bible says that if you're a believer, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've been redeemed by what Christ has done on the cross, you now can be a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's saying that God's Spirit lives in you, but it's saying much more than that. 
God is saying that you now are becoming a set-apart place, a holy place. That means that you need to take good care of yourself spiritually and physically and mentally and emotionally. And see, when we know that our real ID includes the fact that the Holy Spirit has made us holy temples, we honor God with both our bodies and our spirits. And we honor all other Christians as part of the larger temple that God is building. And maybe, just maybe, we would be so compelled by Christ's love that like John of Kronstadt and that 19th century believer, that we too would go out to our city and our families and our neighborhood into our workplaces and into our churches, into our school, and help people find their way out of every type of sin by going over them and reaching them and lifting them up and saying to them, this is beneath your dignity. You were meant to house the fullness of God. Let's pray. Well, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to do that now. You've heard the difference that Christ has made in the lives of those who were baptized. Maybe for you, for the very first time, you just need to say, God, forgive me of my sin. Jesus once told his disciples, if you ask the Father for the good gift of the Holy Spirit, he will send him to you. And maybe you just need to say, forgive me of my sin. Maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, I'm not bothered by my sin one bit. And maybe your prayer just needs to be, God, would you send your spirit to bother me, to convict me of my sin? For those of you who want to say yes to him, it's as simple as just saying, God, I'm saying yes to you. I place all my faith, all my hope in you. Would you redeem me? Purify me, save me, teach me how to follow you all the days of my life. Give me a love for your word, the Bible, and fill me now with your Holy Spirit. Make me a temple of your Holy Spirit. Teach me how to honor you in all that I do and say. If you've said yes to him, your very next step is to be baptized. Encourage you to talk to me or one of the other pastors we'd Love to help you take that next step. For those of you who are Christians, maybe you could pray like this and just say, Father, what an incredible privilege that you want your spirit to dwell in me. Teach me, Father, how to be a worshiper in spirit and truth. Forgive me of my sins. Purify my heart and thoughts. Help me take care of my body and my spirit to honor you. Fill me again with your Holy Spirit and produce all of the fruit of your Spirit in my life. Help me to cultivate an environment and my heart and life where your fruit is free to grow abundantly in my life and use me to invite and point others to you as one who you call a temple of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.